What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where you'll get all the different updates to our draft guide, any podcasts, different articles, polls, every bit of baseball content you guys can find there at Ethos Fantasy BB. Our goal is to start releasing our draft guide on Monday. It won't have every single bit of content in there yet. We're going to keep adding stuff throughout March, but the initial launch should be for Monday. Uh, that is what we are planning on, and we're going to get you kicked off with some Dynasty content, some sleepers and busts, and then we're going to have everything rolling out over the next few weeks. So definitely be checking out sportsethos.com and get yourself a fantasy pass if you haven't done so already. Uh, that is going to be, you can get yourself a pass, like a current fantasy pass right now that will include the baseball content, but we're going to have that separate baseball um, pass set up for you guys over the next few days as well. We're going to be doing another team preview today, and we're going to be doing the San Diego Padres. We're going to be doing this one solo. I've, I've decided, like, I'm mixing in some guests with the team previews, but I'm also doing some of them solo. And the Padres is just one of the teams that I have decided uh, to take care of myself this year. It's an interesting team. It's a team that is incredibly top-heavy. If you look at the bo- uh, the batting lineup, it's Hashan Kim, Xander Bogarts, Tatis, Machado, and Cronenworth, followed by Luis Camposano, Jerickson Profar, Matthew Batten, and Jose Azokar. The bottom of the order is awful. It's, it's absolutely horrendous, and we won't even be talking about those last couple of names because we don't need to waste time talking about somebody projected for about 200 at-bats uh, with – with a 220 batting average and three home runs, like those type of players at the bottom of the order are going to be completely useless to fantasy players outside of NL only leagues this year. And even then, I don't think we're going to be talking about a hell of a lot of value. Let's start off at the top of the order, as we usually do, though, with Hassan Kim. He had a great year. He had a fantastic season that was really buoyed by the stolen bases going up to 38. He had 12 the year prior, and he jumped that up to 38. He also went from 11 homers to 17. He went from 58 runs to 84, and his batting average went from 251 to 260. I like him. I think the biggest appeal is the multi-position eligibility. Wherever you're playing, he's a second baseman, third baseman, and shortstop. That has a lot of value. He's not somebody that's been a massive target of mine in snake drafts this year, just where he's going at pick 87. I haven't really been that interested um, in the, God, what is it, eight drafts that I've done so far this year. That range for me is generally more of a pitching range. So I have been taking the Yuri Perez's of the world. I've taken Alexis Diaz a couple times. Zach Eflin is a darling of mine. Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald I've drafted. That's, you know, those guys are all going right around Hassan Kim. Again, it's not so much that I don't like him. I think the price is just a little bit too expensive here. Uh, and, and I could see him still returning that value, but I think the stolen bases are going to come down a bit. I think he may have maxed out with the 17 homers. There's a chance that he could get up to what we were seeing in Korea, where he was at times a high 20s, 30 home run guy. I think he's probably closer to like 15 homers. Um, that lineup is not great. They've lost Juan Soto, and as much as he did struggle in San Diego across the board, that's going to lead to fewer run and RBI opportunities for everybody when you're replacing Juan Soto with Jose Azucar or whoever the hell is going to be his replacement. It's not great. So there will be fewer runs and RBIs available in that lineup. Even though Kim is the leadoff guy, he'll you know, the RBIs probably won't be drastically different, but the runs, I think, um, you know, he's projected to go from 84 down to about 74, 75. It is a difference. And that batting average, 
It was 260 now. He's projected for about a 245 batting average. It's fine, but again, you're drafting him at his all-time high because of last season's, you know, great great numbers. And now you need him to meet that same level of production in order to justify the cost that you're paying. I think the steals are probably going to be still pretty good, but 38 might be a stretch, you know, projected for 23, 24, 25. That's probably about right. And there's still value in him. You know, if he gives you 16 homers and 23 steals, like there's definitely value there. But as a top 100 pick, I think you can kind of replicate that as you go further down the board. The multi-position eligibility is the biggest factor for me. Second, third, and short is huge. But I don't think it justifies taking him where he is going. He has generally been a fade for me to this point in draft season. Xander Bogarts is going to be playing second base. Uh, That is something that we heard a few days ago at this point, that Xander Bogarts is going to be getting reps at second base this year. So that's something that will open up uh, multi-position eligibility for him. He'll be second base and shortstop. I don't mind Bogarts. I think that he is maybe, and I haven't actually drafted him yet this year, but I think that he is maybe being a little bit too heavily uh, discounted. So last season... People said it wasn't a great year for him. It was 19 homers, 19 steals. He batted 285. He had 83 runs scored. It wasn't a bad season at all. Uh, I think the stolen bases might have been a little bit higher than what we can expect going forward, but I think he's like a double-digit guy, 10 or 12 steals, potentially 20 homers, good batting average floor. Now you got the multi-position eligibility, which is interesting. And batting second in that order, even though they did lose Juan Soto, which is obviously not great, Sandwiched between Kim and Tatis and Manny Machado, I don't think that he's going to suffer greatly because of it. There, you know, you'll, you'll lose a few run and RBI opportunities, but it won't be you know, to the point where he's not a valuable fantasy asset. His ADP is about 116, and I think at that point, and I'm looking at 12-team drafts, by the way, over the last month, um, actually a little bit less than a month since February 1st, but we're looking at a sampling of 21 uh, 12-team drafts, and he is going at pick 116 on average. I don't have any problem with him there. I think that that's fine. I, I think at that point, especially with the multi-position eligibility, 116 in a 12-team league, you're talking about the 10th round. For a multi-eligible guy who, even though the lineup isn't amazing, the top is still good. It's not going to turn over as many opportunities as we may be hoping for because the bottom just sucks, but the top is still very solid. I think 80 runs, you know, 65 RBIs or so to go along with a good batting average, and then you're looking at maybe 20 homers and 10 steals there is value in Xander Bogarts. I, I have no problem taking him where he is going. I haven't done it yet, but I, I'm not opposed to it at all. Fernando Tatis Jr. is the very interesting case. He's being drafted as a first-round pick, ADP of 7.8. He's going between a range of 4 and 11. Those are the That's generally where he's going, between picks 4 and 11. I, I'm honestly not sure how to evaluate him this year because he's another year removed from the injuries, which is good. He was healthy last year. But we're also now having to consider what the impact of, and and I mean, I struggle to even go down this road, but the PEDs, it's a thing. Like, I don't know how much he was using them. He says it was just to help him get over the injury. I don't not believe him, but at the same time, it's it's very tricky to evaluate him because that, you know, the, the peak of Tati so far in 2021 and what he did last year are, are quite a bit different. 42 homers versus 25, 99 runs versus 91, 97 ribbies versus 78, batting 282 versus 257. And what he did in 2021 was in 11 fewer games. So, yes, he's got more time now uh, away from the injury where he is probably healthier than he was last year. 
But who's to say that that means that he jumps back up to who he used to be? I, I, I understand the thought process, and a lot of people are comping him to Ronald Acuna Jr. Because coming off of last season, or coming off of 2022, Acuna was still fairly fresh off of his injury, and people were, were interested, but people weren't 100% sold. Uh, I, was, I had Acuna as my number one player last year. I was pretty invested in him, but it, there were reasons to doubt him. And the same with Tatis. He's not going to be your number one player just because of, well, Acuna, mostly, and, and Rodriguez and Bobby Witt. But there's reasons to doubt him. Like, there are legitimate reasons to doubt Fernando Tatis, whether it's Soto going away, whether it's last year's production being good, but not quite, quote-unquote, Tatis level. There are reasons to not want to take him in the middle of the first round. I'm a volume player. I play in more than 10 leagues. So I'd be interested in taking him, like, once. And maybe I'll take him once before all is said and done. If you're a single-shot player, I think there's a lot of risk in Fernando Tatis, and it comes down to your own tolerance for risk. If you want to you know, have that shot at potentially the number one fantasy player, which he could very easily be the number one fantasy player, then from that point of view, it's a bargain at pick seven. But you're passing up on potentially Kyle Tucker, potentially Freddie Freeman, potentially Spencer Strider, um, Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper. There's a lot, you know, Jose Ramirez, whoever. There's a lot of fairly safe names at the end of the first round. So I don't think that Tatis is somebody that you have to take. I think that he is... An interesting upside option if you want to go that route with your team, but you don't need to uh, at that point. It's the first round. You don't need to do anything. There are so many options available to you, and if you are worried about Tatis potentially not jumping back up into that number one tier, then you don't need to take him. You can take a Freddie Freeman. You can take a Tucker. You can take a lot of different players in that range that don't have the same kind of risk associated with them. Let's talk Manny Machado. Manny Machado has been kind of another polarizing player for me to rank this year. All the things that I heard were that he is going to be coming into the year uh, nursing that elbow and nursing a couple different things. Um, there was the elbow, and then there was something else, I think. There was a tendon or something. like. There was a couple of different injuries that people were talking about early in the offseason and even over the course of spring training. Um, early, I mean, not really technically spring training yet. Games start tomorrow. But over the course of players starting to report, um, I have had some worries with Manny Machado over the course of draft season, and he has gotten a little bit more expensive. He's at pick 57 right now. Early in draft season, he was going to like pick 85, 90 in some cases. In that case, I would be a lot more interested. Pick 57, you're talking round like four, round five, and I don't mind him, but that batting average was bad last year. For Manny Machado's sake, it was 258. And you're looking at a guy who is pretty consistent. He's a 280 career hitter. That's always been a massive plus for him. He did not have that. We did not see him steal bases. That offense, like we mentioned, was not as great. And it's going to continue to probably not be as great. And that led to only 75 runs, 91 ribbies. He did miss some time. But 75 runs... I mean, only three stolen bases. I think the power is pretty legit still. You're going to get 30 home runs. You're probably going to get close to 100 ribbies. But that batting average and those steals and the runs are all kind of big questions to me at this point for Machado. And with the price rising, I'm not that interested. And if you're looking at Yahoo and you're looking at ESPN, I've made this. And I, I don't, you know, I have somebody, if you look at what I've said on Twitter, like I am a massive supporter of the Yahoo players and the ESPN players and the players who aren't, you know, going out there and throwing tens of thousands of dollars at their leagues. I make content more for you guys than I do for any high-stakes players, always. 
But that doesn't mean that sometimes the high-stakes players and the guys who are drafting since October generally have a, a better grasp of the market. And Manny Machado on Yahoo and on ESPN, his ADP is higher than 57. It has been, especially when they first opened up. It was like in the 30s, in the 40s, because that name recognition of Manny Machado. He's a superstar. He's maybe a Hall of Famer. So I'll take him in the third round because he's usually a first-rounder. 2023, he was a first-round player. In my home league, he was my first-round pick. It didn't turn out that great, but that's where he was going last year. So at this point with Manny Machado, even though there is a discount, there are reasons for him to be discounted, and I don't think that it is even enough of a discount, whether it's Yahoo or NFBC or ESPN or Fantrax. I think he should be going probably lower than he is where he was going at the beginning of draft season. In the 70s, in the 80s, if you're talking the 50s or potentially even the 40s on some platforms, he becomes a pretty easy fade for me here as he enters into his, you know, not mid-30s yet. He's going to be 32 this year, but he's not a kid anymore. You know, he is not stealing bases. The batting average isn't what it used to be. There's There are some red flags with Machado, and I don't think that I want to be investing in him very much in the 50s. I think that's just too much of a risk for me. Let's talk Jay Cronenworth. And those were the exciting names. Those were the exciting names of the lineup. Now we get into the Jay Cronenworth of the world, who is kind of a polarizing player for fantasy. There's a couple of years ago where Jake Cronenworth was one of my favorite players in all of fantasy. You got a few positions worth of eligibility from him, specifically talking about 2021. He gave you 21 homers, 94 runs, 71 ribbies. And then even in 2022, we had 17 homers, 88 runs, 88 ribbies, a couple stolen bases, really solid stuff. Now we're looking at what he did in 2023, and it was terrible, honestly. He batted 229. He had 10 homers, 48 driven in, and 54 runs scored. He stole six bases, but it was the first time in his career he'd had a WRC plus below 100, and he was only a one-win player. You know, the previous two seasons for him, his war was 4.2 and 4.2. This past year, not only the offense took a step back, but his defensive metrics did as well, and that led to a one-win season. Now they're at the point where it's not like they can replace him because they're you know, trotting out guys we've never heard of at the bottom of the order. So his role is pretty safe. But in terms of what you're actually going to get out of Jake Cronenworth, it might be kind of ugly. The projections have him going for about 14 homers, five steals, and a 245 batting average. I think it's, eh, it's, it's fine, I guess. I pick 355. It's just not the upside type of play that I want to be shooting for. You might be surprised to hear that Jake Cronenworth is 30 years old already. He looks like a young guy. He seems like he's somebody who would be like in their mid-20s. Like, no, he's 30 years old already. There's no real more development coming. He is who he is, and he's taken steps back each of the past three years. So if he does give me 12 homers with a 235 batting average, then I wouldn't be surprised at all. The eligibility is nice at first and second. It does give you a little bit of flexibility there between your corner infield, your middle infield, first base, utility, whatever. But I just don't think that what the production is going to be really justifies – having him on your team at all. Like the price is fine. 356 if you want to take a chance. It's not going to he's not going to hurt you. You're not going to lose your lead because you drafted Jake Cronenworth. But there are definitely better upside plays you can be taking at that point and later on. I think he's just a really boring guy who's who's not going to do much for you this year. Luis Camposano is an interesting name. Um really really taking a deep dive into him the other day as I was kind of finalizing my catcher rankings. I think he's interesting. Uh, I think in a one-catcher league, even, he's he's pretty interesting. 203 is the ADP for him, which is fine. And, I mean, that's NFBC. He's getting pushed up a little bit in two-catcher leagues. If you're talking one-catcher leagues, he's probably like a last round, 
270, 280 type of range. And this is something I got into the other day on Twitter, talking about Adley Rutschman. If you're playing in a 10 or a 12-team league, if you listen to one piece of advice I give you this year, let it be this one. If you're playing in a 10 or a 12-team league and it's one catcher, you do not need to take your catcher before the last two or three rounds. Oh, but I could take Rutschman in the fourth, and then I don't have to worry about it. You, Rutschman's not going to return fourth-round value. He's, he's not. I did a whole study on this last year. I did a, a whole series of tweets about catchers and about their valuability, their valuability, how valuable they were in Yahoo leagues, in ESPN leagues, in NFC leagues. There were no catchers in Yahoo last year who were top 100 players. Zero. Zero catchers finished in the top 100. The highest was William Contreras at 107 or something like that. You do not need to take catchers in the top 100 in one catcher leagues. You don't even need to take them in the top 200. That's my tangent. Um, but that's essentially what I'm saying is maybe the most important point I'll give you guys this year in your one catcher leagues. Do not take GT Real Muto. Do not take Adley Rutschman. Do not take Contreras. Maybe you can take Wilson Contreras if he's going low enough. But you don't need to be reaching up for these guys the way you will see. Like when NFBC ADP is, is uh, cited, even like hell, we've seen it with Yahoo with Rutschman. Guys are going higher than they should. Um, we need to throw some cold water on the catcher position as a whole. There's there's a lot of great options. You don't need to be reaching up for them. You can get them with the 17th, 18th catcher off the board, and that's pretty much Luis Camposano range. You know Why would you take anybody in the top 200 when you can get Camposano, who's projected to have the full-time role? He's projected for about 115 games behind the dish with a 262 average from a catcher, which is just just golden, an absolute, an absolute golden number there for a catcher, to go along with about 15 homers, 50 runs, and 55 RBIs. And he's even projected for a steal or two, depending on the system you look at, which is, I mean, I wouldn't factor that into your value of Luis Camposano. But if you get a steal or two out of the catcher spot, that is huge. I like him. I, I think that he is somebody where if you're waiting, and you should be waiting, that he's a target. And even in two catcher leagues, if you're waiting, he's kind of in that range as well. You can start getting a couple catchers around pick 200. You don't need to reach for them. Their value is artificially inflated. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I've made this comparison a few times, but... If you play in fantasy football leagues where there's super flex and there's two quarterbacks, those quarterbacks and those two quarterback leagues will go in the first round. If you're playing in just a regular standard fantasy football league with one quarterback, then they start to go in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, whatever. Artificially inflating value because of rosters is one of my least favorite things about fantasy. Catchers should not be taken in the top 50 picks, but because they're scarce, we do it. No, no. Most of you guys are playing in one catcher leagues. Target a guy like Camposano later in the draft. Do not, do not reach and take a, a catcher in the top 50, or honestly, even in the top 100 picks for most part. Let's talk Jerks and Profar. Talk about somebody who, uh, you know, we mentioned Jake Cronenworth being a little bit older than we were expecting at this point. Jerks and Profar is also 31 years old. I remember when he was a top prospect with the Rangers. That was when I was really heavily into my MLB The Show era early 2010s and he was somebody I was always when I was rebuilding teams always getting jerks and profile he was like the highest rated prospect and I guess it was the show 2011 or 2012 somewhere in that range but man it's been a difficult career for him he's had a couple of really nice years 2018 2019 but you know the production has just been really bad he's been a four win player over the course of the last decade that's total four war over the last decade I mean I know that's not a fantasy stat, but he has really, really not lived up to that top prospect status. At this point, he's a reserve round type of depth. Like, he's not somebody that's even been drafted in any 12-team leagues over the last month. If you're looking at draft and holds and he's going about pick 660, 
there's just no value there. Like, I'm sorry, there's just no value in Jerickson Profar. He doesn't have any kind of speed anymore. The power seems to be gone. The batting average was never there to begin with. We don't need to waste time on him, essentially. Like, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but there's just no need to talk about Jerickson Profar or Matthew Batten or Jose Azokar. These guys are just not going to have fantasy value this year. Batten is almost 29. Azokar is 28. And I think if I were to pull the people listening to this right now, more than half of you probably wouldn't even know who these guys are. And there's a good reason for it. They're just they're just not great players, and they're not guys that you need to be concerning yourself with for fantasy this year. Just not even not even close. So we're going to move on to pitching. Let's start with the top of the rotation. The rotation is actually not terrible at the top, and then as you go down, it kind of becomes bleh, which is the same thing that you can say for pretty much every part of the Padres. But let's start with Joe Musgrove. So the main concern that I initially had with Joe Musgrove was that he was going to be coming into the year with some kind of shoulder injury. But their manager, Mike Schultz, said a couple weeks ago at this point that he won't have any limitations in spring training. So that right there, like you should be pushing Joe Musgrove up your rankings one or two spots probably because of that. Nothing drastically, but that was something that was kind of keeping him down for me a little bit was – the worry that the injury problems of last year were going to kind of linger. But if he's starting the year off healthy, cross your fingers, that is a good sign. Joe Musgrove, when he's out there, is one of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, if you look at what he's done over the last four seasons, I mean, 2020 is kind of whatever, 39 innings. If you look at the last three seasons, which are generally full, 31 and 30, and then 17 starts this past year, but 318, 293, and 305 ERA in those years. The strikeout rate is not exactly what it was a couple of years ago where he was touching, uh, you know, high 20s. Now he's more of a mid-20s guy, but that's also come with more control over the years. The walk rate has gone from 9.6 down to 7.2. Now these last two years, uh, about 5.5% walk rate. You will absolutely take that. He's been a great whip guy, great ERA guy. Even with the strikeouts coming down a little bit, they're still better than average, 24-ish percent for Joe Musgrove. And I was actually just putting together my pitching projections. Not, I've been putting them together for six months, but I was tinkering with them this morning. And I can actually tell you what I have for Joe Musgrove and where I have him ranked at this point. So he is number 28 for me. He's probably going to be pushed up a few spots. Uh, I have him projected for 28 starts, 163 innings, 12 wins, uh, 165 strikeouts, a 365 ERA, and a 117 whip. I might even be a little bit high projecting a 365 ERA. That's more so the concern with the shoulder. And as we see him in spring, hopefully continue to be healthy, um, then I'll, I'll shave a couple of points off of that ERA projection and maybe turn those 28 projected starts into 29, maybe 30. Um, I, I do worry a little bit about what we're going to see with, the, I mean, arm injuries are just, just the worst and they make, they make everything more difficult for players, for everybody. And especially, not especially we're probably the bottom of the totem pole, but for people who do make rankings, it's, it's just the biggest headache in the world. I know it sounds like a very precious problem to have. Where am I going to rank Joe Musgrove? Uh, it does make it difficult. It, it really does make it difficult when you are coming in, even though it looks good right now with the potential for shoulder setback, that's. I mean, like I said, I know right now he's healthy, but you're only healthy until you're not healthy. And when there is underlying problems, when there are underlying problems, you never know when they're going to pop up again. I don't necessarily think that they will or they won't. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I'm just more so lamenting how difficult uh, shoulder and elbow and arm injuries in general make it 
for you to uh, to rank and project pitchers. But I do really like Joe Musgrove. I don't have a, a massive problem with taking him where he's going, which is generally about pick 100. 95 to 100 type of range. Sometimes he jumps up a little bit. Sometimes he's just outside. The range is 82 to 116. Again, that's over the last 21 drafts, 12 teamers in the last month. I don't really have a big problem with him there because that's like your SP2 or 3 at that point. Probably your SP3. And I mean, depending on your build, could even be four. And there's not a lot of risk at that point. Even though it's a fairly high draft pick, if you've got a secure staff, and again, what is secure? We don't really know. Um, but if you have you know, more safe players early on, guys that you're projecting, the Logan Webb types, uh, the George Kirby types, the guys that you're projecting high inning totals, the Zach Wheelers, uh, you know, those are the guys that I consider more the safe types as opposed to the Tariq Skubles, the Cole Reagans of the world. Um, I don't have any problem taking Musgrove with more of a safe build if you've built in uh, some more security early on in your draft. Let's talk about you, Darvish. I'm definitely not as in on you, Darvish, as a lot of people are the, this season. Not to say that a lot of people are, like, really invested in him or something like that, but I have you, Darvish, ranked as my number 50 starting pitcher. I think that ERA, I mean, if you look at the last three seasons, 422, 310, and 456. He's kind of been doing the odd year, even year thing that we've seen with guys like Edwin Diaz and Aaron Nola, but those guys are also considerably younger than Darvish. Darvish is 37. He'll be 38 in the middle of the summer. That is risky. And it's also risky because there's a lot of innings under the belt here. We got 1,600 just in the States, not to mention what he did before he came here. The age, the decreasing strikeouts, the increasing walks. There's just so much not to like about Darvish at this point. The team context isn't as good as it was a couple of years ago. It's hard to find a positive. Like, it's honestly truly hard to find a positive when you are going through you Darvish's everything, all the stats that we have available to us. It's hard to look at something and be like, oh, that's pretty encouraging. Oh, that's pretty good. No, there's, there's pretty much nothing. Like, if there's anything you can say, it's that, well... The supporting ERA estimators last year weren't quite as bad as that 455, 456 ERA suggests. It was a 392 XFIP. Uh, his Sierra was 404, but we're still not talking about anything that's terribly special at this point from you, Darvish. The price is lower than usual at 185, and I could maybe, maybe see taking him once or twice if you are a volume player, but again, if you are like most people and you play in one, maybe two leagues, I think you Darvish is somebody where there's very, very limited upside at this point. And I think that there, you could do a lot better um, from a lot of different angles, honestly, whether you want to go with another pitcher at that point or, or any other position. Like I think around pick 200 where he's going, 185, 200 is flush with value. It is flush with value. Whether you're talking about a couple of rounds earlier, Vinny Pasquantino, TJ Friedel, Noel B. Marte, Jose Alvarado, Nick Pavetta, Hunter Brown, the potential of Jackson Holiday. You got Reese Hoskins. You got James Outman, um, Brian Wu, who a lot of people are excited about. Camposano, like I mentioned earlier, like you, Darvish is my least favorite player in that range. I just, I just don't see the need to take him over some of these other names that are going there. And it's more so the skill set declining than the price, because I mean, there, there's a price for everybody. I, I think if we were seeing like what we had seen from Darvish in the last couple of years, not so drastic decline then I could probably probably get behind this price. But even then, you know, the age is a concern. The team context, the strikeout rate going down. Like, there's just – there's nothing really to like about Darvish at this point. So he has been a fade, and he will continue to be a fade for me. 
Let's talk Michael King. You want to talk about difficult players to rank. Michael King might be the most difficult player to rank because last year, especially as a starting pitcher, he was incredible. Really, in any role he had last year, 49 appearances, he had a 2.75 ERA. He struck out nearly 30% of batters and only walked 7.4%. 3.29 Sierra was beautiful. The whip was at 1.15, which was a little bit high, maybe compared to what you were expecting with that ERA, but still, it's hard to complain about a 1.15 whip with a 30% K rate. The question is, the main question is, can he handle a full season as a starting pitcher? And I'm at the point of thinking probably not. Most people I've talked to think that he probably won't be able to handle that full season workload. Again, we're talking about a guy who has 104 innings max under his belt. That was this past season. What are we going to realistically jump to? Some of the projections say he'll go to 150 and even above 150. That's not realistic. He's not going to jump over 150. 140, 130. I haven't been able to nail down an innings pitch projection for him. I have right now my my page says 135, but I, I even that feels a little bit high. That's banking on him being able to start close to 20 games, like 20-ish games, and I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up for that long. I, I really don't. He's not, and it's not like the skills are bad or whatever, but when you are going to be changing somebody's role and doubling, almost doubling their workload year over year, because you got to remember 2022 was only 51 innings. It was already doubled from the year prior. What are we going to add on to it? Another 50, 60, 70, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And with everything else that I've talked about with the team context not being as great, the wins are not going to be as available for him in San Diego as they would have been in New York. I just, I just, again, can't see myself getting behind Michael King. He's one of those players where I might miss out on him this year, but a pick 135, like, let me miss out on him. I, I really don't care. That's an expensive tag. It doesn't sound expensive, but 135, that's the same range as Chris Bassett and Carlos Rodon are going. Kenley Jansen and Albert Azale. Um, Bailey Ober, Tyra Estrada, Josh Naylor. It's a thick range of value. And Michael King is somebody that, could potentially pan out, but what does that panning out even mean? Does that mean people are expecting a sub three ERA over a full season and they're going to see him on the ballot for Cy Young? No, like that's, that's not what people are expecting, right? I don't think so. But based on where he's being drafted, people are expecting like a mid threes ERA. They're expecting that strikeout rate to maintain at least for the most part to 27% or so. I just can't see it happening. Uh, maybe it does happen, but he's one of those guys that I will miss out on in this year. And if I miss out, I miss out. It's like Cole Reagans, Nolan Jones, Royce Lewis. Give me the boring guys all day, every day over the people who are getting shot up in drafts because they had a good stretch down the down the last couple months last year, like Michael King. And not to say that it wasn't a great stretch. It was an incredible stretch. I just don't know how sustainable it is over the course of a full season at this point. The other two projected starters at this point, Pedro Avila and Randy Vasquez, are strictly guys that you should be looking at in your deep, deep, deep leagues. I know most of you, like I said, 10 and 12 team players. There may be weeks in the season where you can potentially stream one of these guys if it's a very advantageous matchup. If there is a two-start week where they're facing the Athletics and the Nationals, then I don't have a big problem with it. But I think for the most part, you are going to be avoiding them uh, for most of the season in your fantasy leagues. The big question that I have, and I don't think we'll really fully know until the season starts and we actually start to see games getting uh, 
getting wrapped up in San Diego is who's going to be the closer. I think Robert Suarez gets the first crack, and he's somebody that I have drafted a couple times this year. But we're talking about somebody who has exactly one save in his career. One save. So it's not like we can say the the job is his. It's absolutely secure. He is going to have the job. No, because he has one save, and he has six blown saves in his career. So as much as I, I've drafted him, I think that he's going to start the year with the job. We can't just say that it is, it's his role. And we you know you draft him, and then you've got a closer there. Like I think that you may luck into 20 saves with him, which is what I was hoping for when I drafted him the other night in that auction that we did, which, by the way, you guys should check out on YouTube. Uh, we did a live auction draft of the first 15 rounds of it because it took three and a half hours uh, for you guys to check out on the YouTube side and also in the podcast feed. But we had a lot of fun. I took Robert Suarez. But I don't know, like, it, I, I messed up on saves. Essentially, my, my weakest part of that draft was saves. So I think, I think that he's okay as, like, a late-round speculative guy if you're hoping for a punt-save strategy, essentially. Not necessarily punt, but punt that draft capital. You're not taking the haters of the world. You're not taking the expensive names, the Diaz's, the Clausses, the Dovals. You're getting him at pick 224, and you could still get 20 saves out of him. Now, that might come with a 3.65, 3.7, maybe even a 4 ERA, and he might be like a Carlos Estevez type of closer where you're getting saves, but it's coming at the detriment of a few other categories. I, I think I'm okay with it depending on the build. And again, it's just a matter of how much you want those saves or if you want to just punt saves altogether. Because I think if you are looking at him, it is a viable thought to think, do I even want to bother? Like, if I have a couple of save artists already, a couple of closers, whether it's a hater and a Devin Williams, and then you take Robert Suarez as your third guy, then that's fine. But in the draft where I took him, he was my second guy. It was an auction. It's It's very tricky to figure out values for closers. And I probably messed up with him as my second guy. There might come a point in the year where I just say, you know what, I'm punting saves. Um, there is a small overall component to that. There's a 60-team overall in uh, in that auction that I did. So I don't want to punt right off the right off the bat. But I think there's a chance that you draft Robert Suarez, he ends up with only a handful of saves, and he becomes a cut. There's just as, uh, just as high of a chance that he does become the full-time closer in San Diego but even then, we're talking probably 25 saves with some interesting periphery stats. So I, I don't have a strong opinion on him. I think in the right build, he's fine, but definitely preferable as a third closer as opposed to a second. Now, they've added a couple of names as well. Yuki Matsui is somebody that could potentially get some saves as well. He's projected for about, I mean, it depends on the system you look at, seven on a lot of them and then 13 from ATC. The numbers he's projected for are about a 3-5 ERA with about a 125 whip. Decent strikeout, more than decent strikeouts, really, 30% in a 10% walk rate. He fits the closer mold pretty well, Yuki Matsui. And I think that if you are kind of speculating, he makes sense as well because I think there will be days where it will be him. And this might be something where it does end up being um, like a handedness thing. Suarez is a righty. Yuki Matsui is a lefty. If you're facing three tough lefties, it'd probably be Matsui. If you're facing a couple of tough righties, then you're likely going to see Robert Suarez in the ninth inning. I don't have a problem with taking Matsui. You're getting him a pick, uh, where is it, uh, 276. That's not bad. That's like last couple rounds of your 12-teamers. If he happens to get the role, he happens to get it. That's the type of upside play that I'm talking about. You know, With you, Darvish, there's no upside. Like Best case scenario, he gets back to like a 
high threes ERA, if you want to call that upside, whatever. But with a guy like Matsui, potentially you're getting 20 saves at pick 300. That's upside. That is like my last round. I'm going to shoot for the moon and maybe something really great happens. That's potentially what you can get with Yuki Matsui. Um, but that'll do it. That is essentially the Padres. They're not as interesting for fantasy as they were last year or the year before. But there's still about eight to ten names that I think can be uh, can be drafted given the right builds. Obviously, like Tatis is of the world. Like it's not about the build. Um, but when you start to get deeper down, the Camposanos, the Robert Suarez's, the Matsui's, the Joe Musgroves, the Xander Bogarts. There are a lot of players that I think are interesting, too, and that's a common theme. We've done a lot of these team previews. We've done about 16 or 17 of them at this point. There are players on even the shittiest of teams. Not to say that San Diego is one of these teams, but there are players on all types of teams that are going to be valuable for fantasy. It could be the A's. could be the Dodgers. doesn't matter. Anywhere in the middle, um, there is value, which is why we do these team preview shows. But let me know what you think over on Twitter at JoeRico99. Also at Ethos Fantasy BB and be on the lookout at sportsethos.com for our draft guide coming out next week. But that'll do it, guys. Until tomorrow, take care. Have a great night.